This is the second Sunday of Advent. The candle we light is hope. What is hope? Modern culture tells us it is a maybe, a kind of unsure optimism. But in scripture, hope is an indication of certainty. Hope means a strong and confident expectation. We can live with the certainty and the confident expectation that Christ not only came to this world as a baby so long ago, but he will return and everything that God has promised will come true. What hope? Well, I hadn't seen that slide, and you did a great job, Selick, reading that. There were some big words in there. But if you want to, Steve, before you go to my message, just put that slide back up for a second. And uh, I just want you to just take a moment and read that. Then if you want to tune out for the rest of the message, you can do that because that is a perfect summary of the message this morning. Said much better than I expect that I'll say it. So, um, but what is hope, right? Modern culture tells us it's a maybe, a kind of unsure optimism. But in scripture, hope is an indication of certainty. Don't, don't forget that. It's an indication of certainty. It's a strong and confident expectation. Right? And we can then live with certainty and the confident expectation that Christ not only came to this world as a baby so long ago, but he will return and everything that God has promised will come true. That's hope. That's what we're going to talk about this morning on this second Sunday of Advent. Have you done the math? Have you looked at the calendar? Just three weeks to Christmas Day. And the countdown is on. And in a sense, that is what Advent is. It's this time of preparation, this counting down. And yet it is a time of waiting and preparing for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. It's a time of waiting and anticipation. For children, the waiting seems like forever. And for adults busy with all of the traditional preparations for celebrating, the time just seems so short. Traditionally, Christians have used an Advent wreath like this one to mark the four weeks leading up to the celebration of Christ's birth. And each Sunday before December 24th, another candle is lit. Now, in our home growing up, we counted down the days to Christmas with an Advent calendar. I'm sure you're familiar with this, where you pop open a little window, and behind that little window would be a little chocolate treat, something for the kids to kind of keep their mind off of the gifts maybe under the tree, but at least getting them to think about coming, the coming and celebration of, of Christ. And when you got to the last window, you knew that Christmas Day had arrived. And today, kind of overlapping. Last Sunday was the last, uh, the first Sunday of Advent, but it was the last Sunday of our series on prayer. Uh, so today we're just starting an Advent series for the month of December titled, Christmas Gifts I Need. Often we receive gifts at Christmas that aren't necessarily what we need. Sure, they're nice and usually a, ref a reflection of love and care, but in reality we probably wouldn't miss them if we didn't even get them. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to reflect on some of the gifts that we actually need, not socks. I mean, unless you need socks, but something much more meaningful. Today, hope. Now, you might say that 
these Christmas gifts that I need are really essential gifts, gifts that are needed for our very survival in this life. And there is a verse tucked in the end of, and uh, near the end of the book of Romans in chapter 15 and verse 12. And uh, Paul writes there, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Now there's another verse that I'll refer to later right after that that just kind of sums it up as well, but I'll close with that verse uh, this morning. And just using this as kind of a a springboard for us to, to think a little bit about hope this morning. And this verse in Romans, the Apostle Paul is actually quoting Isaiah the prophet. A verse that if you turn to Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10, you'll find it there. Now it's not an exact quote, but the difference is really only in the wording. It means the same thing. Instead of using the phrase, uh, the one who will arise to rule over the nations, Isaiah uses the phrase, the nations will rally to him. David was the son of Jesse. And as you follow the genealogy of Jesus, you discover then that this was Jesus' family line. And so when Isaiah prophesied some 750 years before the birth of Christ, that the root of Jesse will spring up, and that he would be the hope of the nations, he was in fact prophesying that the Messiah would come from the line of David, and that he would rule the nations and win their confidence. The promise of a Messiah gave the people hope. In, in their frame of mind, they may have been thinking that, you know, things might be bad now. But we can always hope. And hope always looks to the future. Hope is about expectation and anticipation. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia, he wrote about this magical land that some of the children discover by going through a wardrobe. In Narnia, if you're familiar with the, with the story, darkness rules. And it's described as a place where it's always winter, but never what? Christmas. That is a despairing thought. But without hope, you only have despair. And in in the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll know that there were some that had hope, and they had this hope that Aslan would ultimately come and save them and deliver them. Advent is a celebration of this hope. It anticipates a new day. It it means a fresh beginning. And, And if you really stop and think about it, waiting is not our favorite pastime, is it? Just wait is not our favorite phrase. Right? You call a business, you need to talk to somebody, and they say, uh, can I just put you on hold for a moment? Please wait. And they don't even give you a chance to answer, no, I don't want to be put on hold. We don't like it. Because in our impatient culture, it's filled with words like fast and quick and instant. Whether it's going to be food or service or money or technology, none of us ever want to wait. Please wait is not what we want to hear. Yesterday, Tina put a few gifts under our Christmas tree, three to be exact. Um, Two for our nephews that we'll be visiting just after Christmas, and one for me. One. 
I, I suggested she fill it out a little bit and bring down some of the gifts that she had just wrapped for the children, but she didn't want to do that. I mean, she thought that just the fact that these gifts would be there would be this temptation for our children, as maybe you experienced as a child, to go to that gift and be overcome with curiosity. And what do we do? We, we shake it a little bit. We rattle it. We see how heavy it is. Uh, we, we, we feel for maybe some openings uh, and some soft spots so that maybe without opening it, we can even get our fingers in there and kind of figure out what it might be. As a kid, I remember knowing exactly where my mom hid the presents. You're right. You guessed it. I went. Curiosity got the best of me. I couldn't wait any longer. And I'd go in the closet and I'd dig behind those dresses and there they were. Yes! I'm getting it. Kind of spoiled Christmas. But who really mattered? It didn't really matter, right? I got what I was hoping for. And waiting to open a gift always builds anticipation. It's not an easy task for the curious and the eager. And God's people had waited in anticipation for the promised birth of Christ. It had been prophesied. A Savior would come. A King would come. The Christ, the Messiah. And every day, all year, year after year, after year, God's people waited And they had to remind themselves over and over again that Christ would come just as he had been promised. And so they waited. And they watched. And they hoped. And he wouldn't come any sooner than God had planned and no later than he had scheduled. And at just the right moment, Jesus would come. And so they're waiting for the Messiah. He had been prophesied. But for 400 years, God was silent. And now Israel was living under the oppressive rule of the Romans, living as captives in their own land. And it was a time of pain and suffering. But the expectation of the Messiah was that he would deliver Israel from this painful situation and that he would bring them comfort. And so the circumstances were perfect for the arrival of the Messiah. Christmas is, in fact, a bold declaration that God always keeps his promises. In his way and in his time. And in the meantime, he asks us to wait with hope. But hope with certainty, not wishful thinking. I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel if you have your Bibles and just turn to chapter 1. And if that's kind of hope defined, I want to see hope expressed. And here in Luke chapter 1, we're introduced to Zachariah the prophet and his wife, Elizabeth. Or Zachariah was a priest, in fact. He was a priest who worshipped and served God faithfully. Together, he and Elizabeth, they wanted to please God in everything that they did. And in verse 7, we read that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive 
and they were both very old. Okay? So two things against them. They were unable to conceive, and they were both very old. And I suspect at this point in their lives, they had lost hope of ever having children. They had grown tired of waiting, and now thought that it was way too late for them. And like every priest, Zechariah wanted to burn the incense, the, the offering on the golden altar in the holy place. Now this may seem trivial, but this was a privilege that would only happen once in the lifetime of a priest. And lots would be cast to determine who would make this offering. So you'd think it's almost maybe by chance. But God rules over the casting of lots. There is no luck in God's economy. And so then one day it happened. Verse 8. Once when Zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, I don't know how long Zechariah waited for this day, but it had finally happened. And it was a very solemn moment. And, and in this moment, as, as, as Zechariah is in the Holy of Holies all by himself, an angel appears. And as often is the case, when an angel just suddenly appears, Zechariah's response is one of terror. But listen to the angel's message beginning in verse 13. He says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Did you catch that? The unexpected was going to happen. And even though that they had been hoping and waiting to have a child, Zachariah's response, understandably, at this point in his life now, is one of disbelief. So he asks the angel, he enters into a conversation, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife, well, she's just well along in years. Smart guy, isn't he? <laughs> Earlier, we, we read that, you know, they're both old, so, gentlemen, this is a, just an aside, a little teaching. If you're getting older, it's always nice to say, well, I'm old, but my wife, she's just getting along in years. Sounds much better than she's old, doesn't it? Anyways, I totally digress. The angel then identifies himself as Gabriel, and he reminds Zachariah that he, in fact, had been sent by God with this message. And then the sign that Zachariah expected, I mean, he wanted some certainty. Well, it wasn't quite what he expected. And he wouldn't be able to speak, the angel tells him, until after his son would be born. 
which in verse 20, which will come true at their appointed time. You know, as I prepare this week over and over again, I, I saw this theme kind of running through that I, I'm sure I had read it before and had seen it before, but it really just seemed to, to leap off the pages about how all of these intricate details were being orchestrated by God to allow the fulfillment of the promised Messiah to happen just as he explained, expressed it would happen. Right? And, and <clears throat> for <clears throat> Elizabeth and, and Zechariah, for Zechariah to, to be chosen uh, to be the priest that day, for the angel to appear to him. All of these timing things just kind of come together. And you're going to see this more and more. Now, meanwhile, while Zechariah is inside the, the temple, the people were waiting outside, and they begin to wonder, like, what's taking him so long? And when he did finally come out, of course, he couldn't say anything because he couldn't speak because God miraculously had taken away his ability to speak. Now, can you imagine this? The greatest day in Zechariah's life an absolute miracle that he would want to shout from the rooftops? And he can't say a word about it. And well, as you read on, you discover that Elizabeth does become pregnant and she gives birth to a son. And, and even then, Zacharias still can't speak. Now think about this. The entire time of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Zachariah could not say a word. And now when the relatives were questioning the naming of the boy, it was Angel Gabriel who had already said, hey, you're going to name him John. Zachariah knew that. He had shared that with Elizabeth. So Elizabeth is saying, listen, we're going we're to call him John. And they're all scratching their head going, but none of your family, there's, where did that name come from? It has nothing to do with your, with your family. And so Zachariah asked for a tablet, not one of the modern ones, but old kind and he just writes on it his name is John and as soon as he makes that declaration verse 64 of Luke chapter 1 immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak praising God isn't that amazing when you think about it could have said anything. He could have like spoken about Elizabeth and oh how hard these forty weeks must have been and and oh I couldn't say anything and oh man it was just torture. No, he doesn't dwell on that. He doesn't dwell on his immediate circumstances. He he immediately turns his attention to God and praises him. I'll come back to that in a second. And, and as I said earlier, as I prepared for this message and, and just read these accounts related to the birth of Jesus, I was struck again time and a time with just complete wonder. Because Christmas, you know, we, we, we spend, even though we might spend four weeks leading up to it, it goes by so fast. And I just found even this morning as we were worshiping, I'm, I'm just thinking, wow, like, I wish we could go through the lyrics of... of um, uh, what was the last carol we sang? 
Somebody help me that was on the worship team. It's drawn a blank. Come along, expected Jesus. And as you're singing that, you'll just, you'll just see over and over again just the expressions of, of truth, of theology, of what Christmas is all about. And, it, and, and this is just such an incredible time of the year. And I just find that even in my own life, it just, it's so easy to be just overcome with distractions and worries and, and all the, the cares of the world, so to speak. But then you step back and you read the story. It's not just a made-up story. It's a historical account. And as you read all of these little miracles, these huge miracles... It just becomes a reminder of the awesome faithfulness of God, about the incredible power of God. And just here, even what I shared this morning, I mean, just the, just, you see the miracle in, in getting a man to not speak for 40 days? Sorry, 40 weeks. 40 days would be great, but 40 weeks. It's a long time to be silent. Elizabeth conceiving even though she was well along in her years. Right? It's just, Christmas is just that reminder that God is able to do what he promised that he is able to do. So back to Zechariah. So he's now able to speak. His first response is to praise God. Picking the account up in verse 68. This is what he says. Most reference this as Zechariah's song. So he says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn or, or a strong king of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who who hate us. And so the very first thing we see is that Zechariah praises God simply for saving them. And it wasn't a simple act. But he begins his praise by singing of salvation. He sings of being redeemed, that they've been set free. Zechariah himself, he understood the persecution and the oppression that they were experiencing. They were living under this from the Roman government. And as much as they hoped for a child, they longed, personally for a child, they longed even more for the Messiah, for the Deliverer. And now he could see they were going to be rescued because all of what had promised was starting to fall into place. Now, if you go back to Luke's account, you'll find that from the, the time where the angel met Zechariah in the temple to the time where Zechariah is able to speak um, again and he starts out in this praise, the angel also appears to Mary. He tells her what's going to happen. And then Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And so you can connect the dots. While Zechariah may not have been able to speak, he could still hear. And so he was fully aware of what was happening with Mary. 
And so when Mary had come to visit, visit Elizabeth, he, he undoubtedly heard Elizabeth tell Mary, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. In other words, hope is believing that God will keep his promises. Now Mary, no doubt, had told Elizabeth about her encounter with Gabriel the angel. Because she's like, guess what? I'm going to have a child too. The angel told me. The angel told her that she would, listen to this, conceive and give birth to a son. This is how specific it is. And you were to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Jesus, when he's now older and on his missionary journey and preaches a message of Redemption. And the people don't believe him. And then John chapter 8, verse 34, verse 36, we read that Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, he says, you and I were slaves to sin, but when we trusted in Jesus, he set us free. He rescued us from the bondage and from the oppression of sin. And the Apostle Paul then, in writing to the Galatians, he expresses the truth this way in Galatians 4, verses 3 through 7. He says, So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, Remember I talked about the timing of all of this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It's incredible, isn't it? Because what he's saying is this, that we are no longer slaves when we are in Christ. But now we're sons and daughters of the king, entitled to all of the rights and privileges and inheritance of an heir. And this, my friends, is the hope of the gospel. This is redemption. Jesus setting us free, not by anything that we've done, but by grace and through faith alone. Knowing Jesus sets us free. And so knowing Jesus is really our ultimate hope. And as if to put an explanation point on this, Paul in writing to the Romans says in chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have been set free, free indeed, Thanks be to God. And that's why Zechariah responded that he did. He understood that the deliverer has come, that we have been rescued, we have been set free. And so his hope propels him to worship and to praise. As we read on, we see Zechariah continue to praise God, not just for saving them, 
but for his faithfulness. Again, returning to Luke chapter 1 and now verse 72 and 73. It says, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenants, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. God's people could look back and, and over the course of history, they would see God's faithfulness. They understood the promise that had been made to Abraham first in Genesis 12 to, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And then it was restated again in Genesis 13, 16. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. And then again in Genesis 22, 17, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. And through your offering, offspring, sorry, he says to Abraham, All nations on earth will be blessed. This promise was something that Abraham and all the Israelites believed in. And now all of these generations later was fulfilled in Jesus. And so Zachariah is praising God for his faithfulness. This promise that God had made to Abraham was now fulfilled. And oh, how the Israelites had hoped in that promise. And hope is trusting in the faithfulness of God, believing that he's going to keep his promises. Now notice just another line in Zechariah's song that really stood out again for me this week in verse 74. He says, he says all of these things, right? He says, we're going to praise God for saving us. We're going to praise God for his faithfulness. And now... Why did that happen, he says in verse 74? To enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so God provides salvation. He rescued us, not so that we could do our own thing, but that we might serve him, he says, without fear. And in Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul describes his own salvation, his own rescue in in very similar terms. He trusts in Jesus, and then he was sent on a mission. You see, the effects of sin are darkness, and darkness then needs light, and our eyes are then opened so that we can have hope in a dark place. And others need this hope too. And that essentially becomes our mission. And the good news that we have to share is just that. Light has come, and there is no need to walk in darkness any longer. Let me just try to wrap this up. This Christmas, more than anything else, more than any other gifts, we need hope. And it's right to say, in essence, that hope was born at Christmas. He was given the name Jesus, which was the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. In other words, he rescues We once were slaves to sin, without hope, without God. But now, by grace, through faith alone, we're welcomed into God's family, adopted as his own sons and daughters. And as his sons and daughters, he loves us. He cares for us. It doesn't matter what we're going through right now what challenge you're facing, what, what insurmountable despair might be before you. The ultimate hope 
that we have is in Christ Jesus alone. And God has given us his own son who is born as a virgin, born of a virgin, lived, died, was buried, and rose again. He conquered death. It's been defeated. And those who believe in him, they have their sins forgiven. They have the hope of eternal life. And so in comparison, I mean, what else is there to hope for? What, what gift could ever compare to that? The anticipation of the birth of a baby, any baby for that matter, is, it's a big deal. But when this baby is the perfect son of God, the promised Messiah, this long-awaited deliverer, the ultimate fulfillment of hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, right down to the detail of being born in Bethlehem. It's huge. And our only appropriate response, I believe, like Zachariah, is to praise him, to thank him, Thank him for saving you. Thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him for keeping his promises. Thank him that just as he orchestrated all of these amazing events surrounding the birth of Jesus, or the first coming of Jesus, that we then can hope in the second coming of Jesus. Because that's prophesied in the Bible too. And so we wait with this expectation. And so yes, Advent is a celebration of his coming. But it's also a reminder that he is coming again. And that is our hope. That God, who is faithful, who keeps his promises. And so we wait with hope for his return. And he is coming again. That is our hope in Christ, the hope of glory. And that is what we're going to remember right now, is that through Christ's death on the cross, he rescued us. He saved us. He conquered death. And so our response is to to thank him for that. And the scripture says that we should do this remembrance until he comes again. And so in a sense, this table looks back on Christ's birth, life, death, and ultimately resurrection, but it also looks ahead because it's a confident statement of our hope in Christ. There's no greater gift than that kind of hope. And so my question to you this morning, I believe you're in one of two places. You have an absolute certainty of your faith in Jesus. You have trusted him. You have given your life to him. You've said yes to him. Whatever whatever phrase you want to use. But you have been adopted as his son and daughter. You are a child of the king. And so this, my friends, is just a a remembrance 
to say thank you for what you have done and accomplished on the cross for me. Or you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if that's the case, I hope this morning that you have lots to think about. That maybe as you just think about Christmas as this wonderful celebration and time of gift giving and lights and trees and gifts and presents and all of those things, you now realize that, oh, there's something else way more significant that took place there. That Christmas was the fulfillment of God's promises. His plan to rescue his people. My prayer for you is simply that you would deeply consider that this morning. And maybe if it's true, if that's true of you, that for the first time this morning, you just say, you, you, you bow your head and you just say, Jesus, maybe I don't even understand it all, but I get this, that you died for my sins. And I thank you for enabling me to serve you without fear forever. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible privilege to know that as we have put our hope in your Son, that you have adopted us as your own. And we have the right to be called children of God. And so we have the right to call you Father. It's incredible for us to think of the hope that the people of Israel had. Who for hundreds of years, they they waited and waited. And then you delivered them. Not with a conquering king, but with a suffering servant. Lord, as this story unfolds, we come to realize again that Your ways are not our ways. This is so abundantly clear to us. Because really, when we think about the plan that you had to save mankind from their sins, what a strange way to save the world. And so this baby that we celebrate, that we welcome into our world at Christmas, we're reminded that that Jesus was born for a specific purpose, to die for our sins, to be that perfect Lamb of God, a once and for all sacrifice for sin. And so, Father, as we wait upon your Son's return, we have the confidence not to just wait and see what happens, but to wait with hope. Help us to wait with that sense of anticipation not just the passing of time, but that we might be intentionally active in sharing the good news and in serving you. And in the meantime, may we continually praise you for saving us. May we praise you for your faithfulness. And may we find ways to serve you joyfully sharing the good news of Christmas. And now, Lord, as Paul, in writing to the Romans, as he's overflowing with hope, he prays 
that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite those who are helping distribute these elements to join me here at the time at the at the front are those who are on the worship team you can come we'll transition to our time around the table and I don't think I really need to say much more do I other than to say this this is a time for those who have put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus to say thank you and we have these elements a piece of bread and a and a cup of juice as symbols of Christ's body and his blood that was shed for us. And if that is not your hope, then it's okay to just let the plate pass. But my encouragement to you is to not let this moment pass, and that you might put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you want to talk to somebody about that after the service, we always invite people to come forward for prayer. I know it would be a huge joy for us to be able to pray for you and with you as you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. So Pastor Ken's going to just return thanks for these elements. We'll distribute these elements. Just hang on to both of them. Um, uh, You'll be able to sing if you want. You can be quiet if you like. Um, But use this as a time, more than anything else, just to praise Jesus this morning. Thank him for what he has done. Would you join your hearts with me? Father, we come this morning to say thank you for your son, your one and only son, who left the beauty and splendor of heaven to come to a messy world and live among us and give us hope. Thank you so much, Lord, for your submissive spirit, ready to relinquish your will, so that the Father's will might be accomplished. Thank you, you were born as the Son of Mary, but also as the Son of God. And you humbled yourself in obedience to God, and you died a criminal's death on a cross. But God, you elevated your Son to the place of highest honor, and you gave him the name that's above all names, that at your name, Jesus, every knee would bow, And every tongue declare that you are the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we bow our knees today. We bow our hearts before you this morning. We want to say thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Thank you for uh, going to the cross. You didn't have to pay any attention to us at all, but you did. You showed your love toward us. You took the insults and the scoffs and the ridicule. You took the fist to the face and the thorns that were pressed upon your head. You took the nails in your hands and feet and you took the sword. But mainly you took our sin, the sin of the whole world. And you carried those sins and that precious work on the cross as the bridge that you built for all of us to come. So thank you this morning. We just collectively in our hearts say thank you. Thank you for being our hope. Thank you for being our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.